thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. We are glad that you are here. My wife, I'm one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. I'm from Midland, Texas. We moved here two and a half months ago to plant this church in San Antonio, Texas. And we believe that God's going to do amazing things through this church and already has started to do that. My wife, Brandy, is on a night team serving in the nursery, loving our 10-month-old baby son, Benson. And maybe some of your babies as well this morning. And uh, we're just so thankful. Can we... See if we can shout loud enough that they can hear us over there and tell them we appreciate them. Ready? One, two, three. Woo! Man, um, so we're in this series called Built to Last. Built to Last, we're using this as an analogy uh, for what God is doing. But before I do that, you may wonder, why is this dude wearing a t-shirt? Well, can anybody say, go Spurs, go. Go Spurs, go. There's many things to celebrate this morning. <laughs> There's many things to celebrate this morning. I was uh, extremely blessed to actually be on the game, seventh row, see the championship, hashtag budget list. It was awesome. Uh, another person to celebrate, we're, we have a couple here, Mr. and Mrs. Cump, who are celebrating their 40-year anniversary today. So that's 40 years Something to aspire to, something so amazing. And so there's so many things to celebrate. Our vision here at Luminous Church, you'll see it plastered everywhere. And we hope that you hear it as well, is to see Jesus clearly. You see, in 1988, I was in the back of my dad's police car. He was a cop. And I was sitting there and I wasn't going to jail or I wasn't locked up. I was just going along for a ride. And we were on our way home and I was looking out the back window. And as I did... Jesus revealed himself to me. He showed me who he was, and he told me that he loved me. And at that moment, I became a Christian. Oh, it was an amazing experience, and you believe, it's hard to believe that a six-year-old could give his life to Jesus. But I think at six years old, that Jesus can actually get through to a six-year-old Easier than he can, somebody who's lived 40 years with so many struggles, so many walls, so many barriers, and so much intellect that keeps us from really seeing him clearly. And at that moment, my life was forever changed. And since six years old, I have um, carried this mantra, if I just see Jesus clearly, the scripture would say, if I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, if I fix my eyes on Jesus... Life will make sense. It doesn't mean that I'll be a millionaire. And it doesn't mean that I'll get all the blessings. And it doesn't mean all this stuff that we think it means. And, but it means something so much more. You see, my life made sense when I met my wife in 2007. And I saw her loving Jesus. And we met. And it made sense. It made sense when we had our little baby son. And it made sense so much so in everything that I do when I see Jesus clearly. It just makes sense. And you may find yourself right now in this place, in this theater, and wondering, like, what are you doing with life? Why are you here? What's the point? What, what is this really all about? And I want to encourage you that if you see Jesus clearly, it will make sense. You know, we, we 
knowing an audience like this, that there's people who've been maybe walking with Christ for a long time. Some people just met Christ, and some people have no idea who Jesus is and what I even mean by that. And I want to encourage you that this is a safe place wherever you are. Whether, whether, you, whether you've been walking with Jesus since six like I was, or, or maybe, maybe you're still wondering who this Jesus is, this is a safe place. You can ask your questions here. You can dialogue. And, and we'll give you time without pressure to understand who Jesus is. We've been using this analogy, built to last. It's an analogy talking about, one, we're building a church. And, and we don't want to be a church that is here today and gone tomorrow. We want to be a church that's built for the long haul, built for generations. I hope that some of you decide that this is the church that you want to grow up in and you want your kids to grow up in. And, and we're hoping that, that they end up getting married and that they have grandbabies. We're hoping that a church would be planted that would last for many generations. This is also a, an analogy for a parallel to your life that, that we want your life built on the right things so that you can last. You know, a couple of longest building projects ever. We have the York Minister Cathedral, which actually took 250 years, I believe 252 years to construct. That's eight generations. Eight generations of, of building a building. That's dedication. How many of you know what is the longest building project here on earth? Any, any ideas? Thoughts? Great Wall of China. We have a genius right here, Mensa Society. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It, it started, started being constructed in 400 BC. actually took 2,000 years to build this. Some building projects just take longer, don't they? They just take a little longer. But in America, we want everything quick, fast. We want it now. You know, we invented fast food restaurants. We invented the drive-through window, and we decided if we make burgers out of plastic, we can actually eat them quicker. <laughs> it's so true, man, and we want things now. We want to we wanna be millionaires overnight, so we play the lottery. I don't know if you've done that. I've been guilty a time or two. <laughs> you know, we, we want things quick. I, I was a, a business major, and I set out to be a finance major, and I got into an upper-level finance class, and it was really hard. And I couldn't stay awake, and it was challenging for me, so I decided, hey, you know what? This class doesn't really matter. I'm a management agent now. So I changed to management. You know, it's just what we do, right? Let's go the, the easiest path, path possible. We want things quick, we want it now, and we want easy. But as a result of quick, fast, and easy, we've forsaken quality. We've forsaken quality in so many things. And, and actually, there's some disappointment that happens in our life because we sold ourselves maybe a little short on some things. Maybe we didn't finish a degree program. Maybe we didn't finish something else. Maybe, maybe we decided to build a house, but we didn't want to put money into the foundation. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that happens because we want it quick, we want it now, we want it fast. You know, this reminds me of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10 in the Bible, he is praying 
to God. And God, in chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, God actually hears His prayer. Right when He prays it. But for 21 days He prays, and it takes 21 days to get an answer. And here's what we do. Oh God, is she my wife? I don't hear nothing. I guess not, you know? That's what we do. Have have we ever prayed? Have we ever prayed quick prayers waiting for a quick answer? Well, maybe your answer is still coming. Maybe it's 21 days. Maybe it's 21 weeks. Maybe it's 21 years. But I believe that God, right when you pray, that He answers. And that your answer is coming. You know, not only are there long building projects, but there are many failed building projects. So I'm going to highlight some of these, and some of these you may recognize. So in Poland, we have the building Skeletor, right here. This building project started in 1975, and because of financial struggles in 1981, the building project was incomplete. It stopped permanently, and even today, this building still sits like this. Now, it's called Skeletor because, any 80s babies in here? 80s generation? 80s are the best, man. Sorry, 90s, you really missed it. But 80s, man, there's a show, He-Man. Y'all remember He-Man and the arch-villain Skeletor? Oh, dude, I used to have He-Man, and then my mom thought they were the devil and threw them away. We cried. So true. Or, or maybe, maybe there's a failed building attempt, the National Monument in Scotland on Catton Hill in Edinburgh, Scotland. Here's this project. It was going to honor heroism. It was going to honor so many things of, of achievement, of what, what Scotland did after the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, that was bad. Goes first. Goes first. But here it is, man. Half complete. It got the nickname the Pride and Poverty of Scotland. Or, or maybe, you know, we don't care about Europe. You know, there's some Europe haters in here. Believe it or not, America has failed in some building attempts. In the 1920s, Cincinnati wanted to make a tube system. And as they did, they went belly up. And now it is the number one largest abandoned tube in the United States. Still sits like that. So many building projects fell. And that's why we're talking about counting the cost this morning. Counting the cost. You can turn to your Bible in Luke chapter 14 or Josh and Joshua 24. That's where we'll be this morning. Luke 14 and Joshua 24. We see that in these scriptures, in Luke 14 specifically, it seems like Jesus is contradicting himself. And if you are somewhat atheist, I don't know how you're somewhat atheist. If you're atheist or agnostic or, or you're a disbeliever, you're, you're trying to refute the word of God. So you're looking for any contradiction that you can. So we're going to address the contradiction that appears here. And I'm going to make the case that it's not a contradiction. You see, when you read the Bible, when you read this, you can't randomly flip a page, point to a verse, and apply that directly to your life because that could be out of context. 
It could be out of context for really, really what God is trying to say and what He's trying to do. And so, you have to understand the character of Jesus. And I want to let you know right now that Jesus loves you. And He loves people. He loves people. He absolutely does. You know, as we're talking about counting the cost, I was 16 years old. And I didn't read a lot. Any non-readers in here? Yeah? I can, I can relate. I didn't read a lot. And so, you know, my parents would take me to the library and I would go straight to the World War II section because those had the most pictures and my imagination could go wild and I, couldn't, I didn't have to read. It was awesome. So I'd get those books. But when I was 16 years old, my dad presented a challenge to me. And you know what? When your father presents a challenge to his three sons, then it actually meant something. And so he read this book called Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar. And as he was reading it, he said, I want to challenge you each to read this book. We started reading it. And in this book, there's a statistic that one out of ten people who start with Christ will not, or nine out of ten people who start with Christ will not finish with Christ. That, that was later backed up by the Barna Research Group who said that, that oh, there's only 10% of people who call themselves Christians actually dedicated to the faith. So we started reading this book, and in this book there was this, there was this crazy illustration between, uh, about Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford. Have you heard of them? Chuck Templeton or Bron Clifford. In the 1940s and 50s, they led revivals and tent revivals, and, and man, they were leading people to Christ like crazy, and things were happening. But 10 years later, Chuck Templeton ended up leaving the faith, and Bron Clifford ended up leaving his wife in the faith as well. And in the shadows of these two men was the greatest evangelist of our time, Billy Graham. And we see how Billy Graham lived a life and how he finished strong. It challenged me. And when you hear statistics like this, you may be thinking, well, I don't have a chance. I've never even led a tip revival. How am I supposed to finish strong? I want to say that there's hope because these men didn't build on the right things. So in Luke 14, 25, we read about Jesus. It says, now large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. A disciple. Someone who loves Jesus wants to learn from Jesus and follow Jesus. A disciple. Now, now here's the contradiction. Uh, Jesus said, hate? Hate my brother? Hate my family? Why is Jesus talking in such ways? Now, we know that Jesus right here was making a point. Because there's, there's more times in the Gospels, in these first four books in the New Testament, where Jesus actually says, honor your father and mother in Matthew 19, 17 through 19. We see where Jesus actually says, your love for one another will prove that you're my disciples. So was he really saying hate? I don't think he was saying hate. He was actually saying your family bond should not take precedence of 
what God requires of you. My friend Mohammed in the Middle East, an amazing, awesome man, he had a dream about Jesus. And just like I did when I was six years old, he saw Jesus clearly. He gave his life to Jesus. But the thing about Muhammad, if he made his faith known, he would get beat, he would get ridiculed, and actually his family would reject him. And there would be animosity and hate between the two of them. But Muhammad, as bold as he is, absolutely used discernment, but eventually introduced the fact to his parents that he was a Christian. You know, see, that's what, that's what Jesus does. When you're a disciple, you realize if my family rejects me, if I get ridiculed, if I get all this, it, it pales into comparison of what really God has for me and what he's done. The first thing to be a disciple, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. The second thing that you have to, that you need to be a disciple is you must carry your cross. Carry your cross. I was having a fascinating conversation because the church often talks about how we always go back to the cross of Jesus and, and not in a, a, a praise way, but in a way of we actually feel so guilty and shameful for what we did. We actually want to climb on the cross with Jesus. And we, we want to feel self-inflicted pain. How many of you know Christians who are going through life and they're carrying the cross and they're just like, man, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's, it's a struggle. It's tough. Yeah, man, I'm just, you know, I'm suffering right now. Have you ever met a Christian like that who feels sorry for themselves? Well, Jesus isn't saying feel sorry for yourself. It's actually saying that, that Jesus wants you to carry your cross, meaning this. In the Roman times, when you were being charged for something, you would carry a cross and people would know that you are being punished, that you're being persecuted. And that's what happens in Christian faith a lot, is that we are persecuted. We're persecuted for our faith. And as we're carrying our cross, people see this. So, so I don't want to confuse you that carrying a cross actually doesn't save you. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, which is free, is eternal life. Eternal life. So carrying a cross, what does this mean? Well, well, I heard this story. So let's say a businessman, you want to, anybody want to climb Mount Everest in here? I, I do, I do. I don't, I don't know, it'd be cool. $70,000 to climb Mount Everest. But suppose that a businessman actually paid your whole expenses, all your expenses, all your training, your flight, and everything to get there. Completely free. Completely free to climb Mount Everest. But although it's completely free, it's very costly. Very costly. In fact, you could climb Mount Everest and lose your life. You have to go through rigorous training. You have to work out. Anybody want to work out in here? I mean, you have to do all these things. This is what Jesus was saying, that my gift of salvation is completely free to you, but it is very costly. It's going to cost you something. Tickets paid for. You're going to show up. The third thing to be a disciple, you must follow Jesus. You must follow Jesus. And if Jesus 
saves you. He's our rescuer. He doesn't just save you from something. He saves you to something. He's not going to do an identity theft on you. He's going to do an identity shift. He's going to give you a new identity. He's going to put something in you. He's going to give you life. And when you're building a life that lasts, He's going to give you all the resources that you need in order to complete it fully. So the resources that God gives you is He gives you time. God gives you time. And before Christ, I'm an apathetic bum. But after Christ, my life makes sense and I'm, I'm intentional. And the time that I have, He makes so precious and multiplies it to get done what I need to in a day. In fact, God will even stop the sun to get done what He needs to do. He's also giving you talents. Many gifts in this room. I mean, look around, left and right. You can just tell by the way people are made that they have giftings. You know, you may have met somebody in the meet and greet and they're just smiling and happy. You may be Ashley who, who has a beautiful angelic voice. You may be whatever your talent is. God has given you stuff. But when you're with Christ, you no longer bury those things, but you use them. You use them. And God has given you treasure. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when you're with Christ, He gives you these resources, He gives you this treasure that just multiplies so many things in your life. Verse 31, Luke 14, 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider, consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off. And will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus was actually talking about God and man right here. He was talking about if you have 10,000 soldiers, God has 20,000. If you have 20,000 soldiers, God has 40,000. You can't outbeat God and you can't outrun him either. God loves you. And what he's wanting you to do is to send a delegation to make peace with him. Because when you make peace, you're surrendering your life. And your life is not your own. But it's now that identity shift. It's with him. And when you're with him, you move from a 10,000 army to a 20,000 army. You're always victorious. You're always victorious when Jesus is with you. Joshua 24, 14. Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put always, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the God of Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus has paid.
pay the price. He's bought the ticket. And you have to decide, this morning, am I going to get on the plane? Am I really going to go through this? Man, my, my friends and I, we went skydiving one time. And it was so fun. But it was sketch. We were in these 1960 Cessna planes on a, on a field. Not any, not any a paved runway. A field. And they had donkeys and chickens and everybody looked like hillbillies. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't trust any hillbillies. We, we decided we're going to do this. We were scared to death. But you know what? When you're in the plane and you're strapped up, and that guy's right behind you, you're going out that plane. You're going out. And so, so the, my decision was, am I going to get on the plane or not? And I did. And when I was on it, I want it off. <laughs> I want it off quick. I was like, man, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. And the next thing I know, the door opens. I don't think I can do this. I don't think. Ah! <laughs> it was exhilarating, man. It was exhilarating. I'm telling you, man. A lot of you are in this room. And I don't know if I can follow Jesus. I don't know if I can follow Jesus. I don't know if I can follow Jesus. And then you, when you're with them, you're like, you're with them. The truth is we all serve something. We all serve something. So whether you get on a plane or whether you stay comfortable in your cozy house with the AC, because you need AC in this humidity, and you stay there in your recliner and you're watching TV and you're ignoring your kids and you're doing all this, you're serving something. You're going to serve yourself. You may serve your family. But we have to choose this day. You know, Skeletor has become one of the world's most expensive billboards. One of the most expensive billboards. And the crazy thing about this is you may have started with Christ 10 years ago, 40 years ago. And really, you quit following Christ and you feel a lot like this. You feel cheapened. You feel exposed. And you have become an expensive billboard. But I tell you this, that there's a company that just bought Skeletor. And they're actually going to add two more stories on this 22-story building. And they're going to finish it out. And they're going to complete it. And I'm going to tell you this, that God wants to do the same for you. That it says, He who started a good work in you will see it through to completion. Now the crazy thing about Skeletor is Skeletor wasn't a wasted cause because Skeletor was built on something. It was built on a foundation that lasts. And I'm telling you, when you made a commitment to follow Jesus, there's a foundation in you that is built to last. 
That God is building something and no matter how exposed you feel right now in this moment, God is making something beautiful in you. And he's going to see it through to completion. You're not an eyesore. And I want you to stand with me and close your eyes. And we're going to believe this this morning together. And as I pray for you. And as your eyes are closed this morning. Philippians 1.6 I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus started this work. And he's not going to leave you where you are. He's going to finish this. And this morning. Wherever you are in this place. If you feel like. Man Ben I kind of feel like Skeletor. Like I made a decision. And my, my faith was on Jesus. But something happened. And it just wasn't. Complete. I've been standing there and people have been making a spectacle of me. My spouse, my family, even myself. Today, if you want to build a life that lasts, I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. If you want to build a life that lasts and I want to pray for you. And I'm praying that God, who started a good work in you, will see it through to completion. And as you're raising your hand, you're professing. And just like Daniel, God heard his prayer. And just today, I tell you, God hears your prayer. He sees your hand. So Jesus, come right now. Father, thank you for the lives in this place. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing, God. Thank you for what you started and what you're going to see through to completion. And Jesus, I pray, God, that where there's brokenness, where there's empty promises, where maybe maybe their life just doesn't make sense in this moment, would you come, Jesus? Would you come, Jesus? And would you reveal yourself that all around this room, people would see you clearly. All around this room, lives would change. All around this room right now.